Welcome to Wellspring Church Podcast. We're an international church family who wants to see Jesus' love transform communities. This recording is a sermon from our Sunday service and will take you deeper into the Bible in a real and relevant way. trusting God's going to speak to us. I do want to say um, especially warm welcome if I can to, you're all really special guests, um, well you know family members, but you're here right? Um, but Neil Wilkinson, um, to see you sat there um, after all you've been through, uh, Neil has, uh, has been through the wars uh, and, uh, and is coming through the other side. God bless you Neil, uh, God bless all the treatment that you're under and we just pray God's blessing on you honestly. It may, I'm glad to see everyone else. I'm really, really glad to see you here. And uh, your reward is listening to me. So, uh, wow. I mean, <laughs> uh, just really glad with my heart uh, to see Neil. If you know, Neil's uh, been fighting all sorts of things uh, physically and medically, and we're just with you all the way. And June as well, great to see you. God bless you. Uh, in 1952... Queen, uh, she wasn't the at the coronation of Elizabeth as queen, uh, she was presented with a Bible. And these were the extraordinary words that were read to her as the Bible was presented to her at Westminster Abbey. And it went like this. We present you with this book, the most valuable thing that this world affords. Here is wisdom. This is the royal law. These are the lively oracles of God. Isn't that extraordinary? On her head, there is a golden crown that was adorned with 2,901 precious stones. She was sitting on a throne encrusted with gold in a thousand-year-old vaulted abbey, and yet God's word was recognised as the most valuable thing this world affords. Hallelujah. And we have the privilege today to open that word in this time. We have a privilege to have within us the Holy Spirit who inspired the words that were written What a privilege to have in my hand right now the most valuable thing this world affords and on your phone and on your lap. And so when we come to open this, we remember the words of uh, the psalmist in Psalm 119. He says, oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. Your commands are always with me and make me wiser than my enemies. I have more insight than all of my teachers for I meditate on your statutes. What we do in this little slot of the week, what we get to do together, is not just hear from some thoughts from someone who's read something, not to hear from Tim. We're here today, including myself. I want to hear from the one who wrote these words. I want these words to burn like a fire in my heart. Because these words are the most precious, living, lively oracles of God that we can live on. 
You can't live based on my word, but we can live based on his word. Can I hear an amen? amen? So I wonder if you have a Bible with you. Just put it in your hands. If you have a phone, we're not going to bless Facebook. In fact, we might curse Facebook. No, I can't say that. Those who are watching on Facebook, of course not. Glad you're here. Take your Bible. Please, just take it. And let's realise now, and at home, let, let's just honour the one who wrote these words as we commit our thoughts to him. Lord, King of heaven, revealer of mysteries, speaker of wonders, living word, the logos of God, we thank you for your word today. And my and our simple prayer, Lord, is that you would cause your spirit to be like a lamp onto these words and that they would jump from the page into our heart, from the screen into our lives. Lord, we don't want to just read these things and bounce them off or change the channel or find a different string. God, no, we, we want to encounter you and your word. King Jesus, speak to us, we pray, through your word. And all God's people say together, Amen. 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 Do you know, God is so faithful and so good to reveal mysteries to us, and we're so grateful for that. Now, uh, today is kind of the coming to a crescendo of our Rebuilders uh, teaching series. Earlier in the spring, as a senior leadership team, we were praying and talking about and sensing what does God want us to do in this next season in terms of What's he speaking to us about? What does he want, how does he want us to live? Uh, and we were pointed to these passages in Isaiah chapter 57 and then chapter 58. A couple of weeks ago, David, uh, sorry, a couple of weeks ago, Helen opened this series looking at chapter 57, where the Lord says these incredible words amidst all the rubble that they're surrounded with, all the mess of their lives as they're in exile. He says, look, uh, even though I know you, I, I know what you've done, I will heal you anyway. Uh, even though I know you're in a mess and you're surrounded by mess, this is my paraphrase, I'm going to forgive you anyway. I know what you're really like and I'm going to show you my grace. And in fact, ultimately that was fulfilled in Jesus, is that there on the crosses he hung there, he looked at the people that had nailed his hands to this wooden beam and he said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. The incredible grace of Jesus. Then last week, David challenged us about not just saying, oh, well, we live and learn, but actually, he challenged us to learn and then live in light of what God has done for us. The, this passage, and we'll develop this more today, it is not simply about having a separated faith or belief system in some kind of religious habit section of our lives, but actually living with the Holy Spirit every day of the week as if as if somebody that we live with every day in our flat or in, in, in our lounge. He watches TV with us at our computer. He, he works with us, goes to school with us, to college with us. That actually we're called to live based on what we've learned. And this is what God's calling us to do as a church, is to realize that we, we need to do something about what we say we believe. In, in fact, we really act, our behaviour is based on what we really, really believe, not just what we sing on Sundays. Can I hear an amen? It's not about what we sing on Sundays. 
And at the end of chapter 57, verse 21, there's this scary coining of a phrase that's become a phrase, and that is that there's no rest for the wicked, right? You might hear that at the bus stop. Someone's tired, oh, there's no rest for the weary or no rest for the wicked. Actually, from here. The fact is that there is a line that is drawn is that there are those that do not receive the grace of God. They, they stay restless in their rejection of God's ways. And this is really uncomfortable for us because God, God loves everyone. Yes, he loves everyone. Hallelujah. He loves everyone. But not everyone receives his love. And so there's no rest for those who reject his love. This is a scary thing. Now, today I want to talk to you about the joining together of two important things. The joining together of our weekend worship and our weekday work. Our Sunday commitments and our Monday compromises. God is speaking to us, to you and to me, and saying, I, I want you to live out the faith you profess in every, with your hands, with your time, with your talents, with your money. I want you to join together your worship and your work. These two things come together, and, and this, is not a non, this is not a lack of grace. It's actually a working out of the grace that we've received, that these two things become the same thing. Oh, but there's so much warmth when we worship on Sunday. But yeah, but when you're dealing with that child that's driving you mad, you know what I mean? When, when, you're, when you've got yet another load of ironing to do, washing to do, when you're dealing with that difficult customer, when you're, when you're cleaning, if I can not be too graphic, the next patient in the hospital ward, may the warmth of our worship be met by the warmth of our love as we do our work every day of the week. Can I hear any amens? Listen, you can say amen even if it's uncomfortable. That's all right. Because this is an uncomfortable word. And I want to ask, what bridges the divide between what we worship and what we sing and actually how we live? That's what we're going to look at today. And to do so, uh, we're going to hear from Isaiah chapter 58. And, uh, and Mika's going to read to us. So could, would you come? And listen, as you hear this, this is from... Um, the message paraphrase. You might find it helpful to follow on the screen, um, or you might just want to close your eyes and imagine that this is Isaiah, who's just come and said, look, I've got the latest thing, the download from the Lord, and I want you to hear this. Let these words hit your heart. Hi, church. Um, I read in his name. Shout. A full-throated shout, hold nothing back, a trumpet blast shout. Tell my people what's wrong with their lives. Face my family, Jacob, with their sins. They're busy, busy, busy at worship and love studying all about me. To all appearances, they're a nation of right-living people. They're, <laughs> sorry, they're law-abiding and God-honoring. They ask me, What's the right thing to do? And love having me on their side. But they also complain. Why do we fast and you don't look our way? Why do we humble ourselves and you don't even notice? Well, here's why. The bottom line on your fast days is profit. You drive your employees much too hard. 
You fast, but at the same time, you bicker and fight. You fast, but you swing a mean fist. The kind of fasting you do won't get your prayers off the ground. Do you think that this is the kind of fast day I'm after? A day to show off humility, to put on a pious long face and parade solemnly in black? Very sorry, this technology. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Do you call that fasting? A fast day that I, God, would like. This is the kind of fast day I'm after. To break the chains of injustice, get rid of exploitation in the workplace, free the oppressed, cancel debts. What I'm interested in seeing you do is sharing your food with the hungry, inviting the homeless poor into your homes, putting clothes on the shivering ill-clad, being available to your own families. Do this and the lights will turn on your lives will turn around at once. Your righteousness will pave your way. The God of glory will secure your passage. Then when you pray, God will answer. You'll call out for help and I'll say, here I am. If you get rid of unfair practices, quit blaming victims, quit gossiping about other people's sins. If you are generous with the hungry and start giving yourselves to the down and out, your lives will begin to glow in the darkness. Your shadowed lives will be bathed in sunlight. I will always show you where to go. I'll give you a full life in the emptiest of places. Firm muscles, strong bones. You'll be like a well-watered garden, a gurgling spring that never runs dry. You'll use the old rubble of past lives to build anew. Rebuild the foundations from out of your past. You'll be known as those who can fix anything. Restore old ruins, rebuild and renovate. Make the community livable again. Amen. Thank you so much. Thank you. Let's show our appreciation to Mika for reading. So powerful, so uncomfortable, so challenging. Isaiah points out how good they are at doing religion and their fasting. But what a profound disconnect there is with how they're treating the people around them. And remember, there are people in exile. They're going to come back to Jerusalem, to the holy city. And he wants to call them back from exile. But he doesn't want them just to come back physically. He wants them to come back spiritually. Hear me when I say, I believe that God is speaking to us as a church. He says, I want to do something in you spiritually. Yes, it will show in how you live your lives and the priorities that you choose, the things that come first. And he said, I want you to come back. And actually, they will be involved in the physical work. And they're busy fasting. Lord, hear our prayers. Lord, hear our prayers. He's like, I will hear your prayers when you do these things. And, and we as Christians, we are uncomfortable with the idea with God of an if and a then. If we do this, then God will do this. We say, oh no, but we're Christians. Come on, Tim, don't you realize we're Christians? God loves us anyway. Yes, he does love us. But he says, if you do this, 
then I will do this. If you live like this, then I will do this. What are the ifs that he talks about? He talks about this. He says, he says I want you to free the wrongly imprisoned. There are people around them that have been locked up in captivity without justice. He says, I want you to free those who are wrongly imprisoned. In verse 6, I want you to lighten other people's burdens. I want you to lighten the load for those around you. I want you to free the oppressed. I want you to remove the chains. And actually, the language there is, I want you to remove the chains that trap people in a cycle of dishonoring God. I want you to break the chains. And I'm like, no, no, no. But on Sunday, Tim, I sang, you break the chains, Lord. Break the chains. Break every chain. And the Lord's saying, yes, I want to break every chain. Guess what, guys? Break every chain. Uh, am I speaking to anyone today? I feel, listen, we sing, Lord, break every chain, break every chain. And he's saying, yes, I will break every chain. When you find injustice, do something about it. When you see a chain, disconnect it. When you see people locked in lifestyles and in cycles that are, that are binding them up in all sorts of patterns, break the chains, says the Lord. He says, I want you to share your food with the hungry. I'm not sure how you feel about sharing your food. I'm not so keen. Not really. Went to Harvester a while back. Anyone go like the Harvester? And there's quite a good menu, and it's not that expensive. Not for a family treat. So we go to the Harvester. Anyone want a dessert? And they're like, oh, no, salad bar. Oh, no, done, salad bar. Rack of ribs. No one else wants a dessert. Okay, well, guess what? I'm going to have the hot fudge sundae. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have it. And, uh, and the, the waiter comes and says, anyone want to serve it? So, yeah, I'm going to hot, hot fudge sundae. Anyone else? No, 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 no. No, we're fine. So, okay. So they all sit and they wait. And the hot fudge sundae comes. And everyone starts leaning in to my <laughs> hot fudge sundae. And the waiter said, would you like a second spoon? I'm like, no. I don't want a second spoon. I've got one mouth, one hand, and one hot fudge sundae for me. No one comes between me and my ice cream. And that's how I am with people I love. <laughs> Share your food with the hungry. I want you to shelter the homeless. And we have to some extent, haven't we, had to professionalize the sheltering of the homeless. But he's not talking about make sure that the homeless have a shelter. It's not to, actually, he's saying if there are people who are homeless amongst you, bring them into your home. Ouch. I'm really so privileged to be involved, and I'm being really upfront about this, it just seems a, a curse to me. I'm, I'm the patron of New Hope, which is a fantastic, one of the patrons, one of fantastic homeless charities. I also work for One YMCA, and between New Hope and One YMCA, during the beginning of the pandemic, we together reduced rough sleeping in Watford from I think 84 people who were sleeping on the streets overnight reduced to zero. Wow. 
And that's, listen, that is great. And I'm so glad that from the, the money that we've given today, a proportion of that is going to that kind of work. Brilliant stuff, honestly. Awesome, brilliant, brilliant stuff. But it's still challenging. Shelter the homeless. Bring them into your home. He says, I want you to clothe the naked. Then he says, I want you to love your relatives. Or I think in, um, it, it says, I want you to not hide from the relatives that have need. Anyone hidden from a relative? This is painful. Jesus said to the law keepers, he, he made the statement, he said, he said, you guys, you talk about honour your father and mother. But you would rather do stuff in the temple with all your religious practice. And you're neglecting your, your mum and your dad. So I want you to love your own flesh. Love your family. Care for those who need care. That's a huge challenge. That's not easy. When there's no one else to care, no one else to do the hospice care, no one else to, to shower somebody, no one else to clean someone. Care for your own flesh. So he says these things, I want you to free the wrongly imprisoned, lighten other people's burdens, free the oppressed, remove the chains, share the food, shelter the homeless, clothe the naked and love your relatives. In other words, I want all your generous words to be matched by generous lives. I want you to take your generous words and turn them into generous lives. And then listen to this. This is the promise. And I, I actually prefer the promises than the requests, if that's all right. These are the promises that flow like a stream through the end of this section. He says in the middle of verse 10, he says, Then your light will shine out from the darkness. Hallelujah. And the darkness around you will be as bright as noon. In other words, I want the light will shine in your darkness, where you are in darkness. The light of God will shine like someone, as we heard, as someone's turned the lights on. So when you do these things, your light will shine like the dawn rising after a very long winter night. Your light will shine in the darkness. In other words, we kind of need to be in the darkness, if you know what I mean, for the light of God to shine and to burst forth. It'll be like a new day. Hallelujah. This is the second promise. The Lord says, I will guide you continuously. or I'll guide you always. The Lord is saying, I will cause your light to shine. I will guide you always. In other words, I'll order your steps. There won't be a single step that you make that I'm not going to guide, says the Lord. What a promise. There won't be a decision, a career decision that you'll make that you won't know what to do because guess what? His promise is he'll guide you always when you do these things. Thirdly, he will satisfy your thirst. Can I hear an amen? He will satisfy your thirst in a sun-scorched land when you're dry, which will restore your strength. What a promise. Satisfaction. Strength. The fifth one, he says, you will flourish or you will be like a well-watered garden. Whose garden died this summer? <laughs> Who'd been to the, the, uh, the garden centre to get some plants at the beginning of the spring and they wasted money? Anyone else? 
yeah, all that money just became dust. He says, no, 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 no. When you do these things, you would be like a well-watered garden. Like the one at the Grove. They, they didn't lose any plants, did they? They watered it with probably purified water at the Grove. Well-watered garden constantly. Oh, look at all these flowers. Cute gardens. Beautiful flowers. You'll be like that. He then says this, then you will be like an ever-flowing spring or a wellspring, a spring that never runs dry. That is the promise of God over you. Not over wellspring church as a building. Can I hear an amen? Just, just let me know you're, that you're, you're listening, you're hearing this. Not as a building. The building is prophetic as a place that represents what God does in us as a people. He says, you, wherever you live, will be like an ever-flowing spring. That the rooms you go in will be renewed because the streams of living water that flows from you bring life to the most cynical, bring hope to those in despair, bring renewal to those that are tired, bring strength to those that are weary. You will be like a well-watered garden and an ever-flowing spring. You will actually be the wellspring. Not a logo on a mug, not the name of the church you go to. Please, don't go to church. Can I put this on? Listen, don't go to church. Let's be the church. Oh, where do you go to? Well, on Sundays for an hour and a half, I go to Wellspring Church. Honestly, that, that makes my spine go all in a knot. Don't go to church. We go to worship, right? But we are the church. This is what the Lord is saying very specifically. I want you to be the wellspring that you call yourselves. Then he says this, and we'll focus on this for a moment before we finish. You will be, he says two things, you will be rebuilders of walls and of homes to dwell in. In fact, it says in verse 12, some of you, some of you, will be known for what follows next. Some of you. In other words, there, is, there, are, there are others that won't. I believe God's saying about us as a church, as part of the wider body of Christ, I believe the Lord's saying to us, if you're, gonna, if you're part of the world's family, this is about you. Some of you, we are the some of you. Can we just agree that? We are all a part of the some of you. If we'll pray in this way, if we'll live in this way, you'll be known as those who will, um, they will rebuild the deserted ruins of your cities. And, and think about Ukraine. At one point, please God, in the name of your son Jesus, would you kick out, I don't know what the phone was, um, would, you, would you kick out Vladimir Putin and his armies, and one day, please Lord, would you end this war in Ukraine? Can I hear an amen to that? Amen. Please God! And when that happens, someone, some of them, will go back to Kherson. They'll go back to these other places and they will find where there was a home, where there was a road, where there was a shop or a hospital or a clinic. And they will pick amongst the rubble where all the reinforced concrete and the steel bar, they're going to move it. Oh, we can't use that, but they're going to pick up some stones and we can use that. Some people are going to go back and they will rebuild that nation. 
won't they? And we say, yes, Lord, please, soon. In the same way, some of you will be known as that will go back and pick up the rubble of broken lives and rebuild. So you'll build two things. Firstly, walls. How many of you know if you have young children and you live near a busy road, road uh, that walls are good? Yes? Especially if you've got a three or four-year-old that runs around and wants to go in every direction and doesn't seem to have an off button. You know what I'm talking about. Walls are good. And when there are people around that want to hurt children, it's really good that there are walls, yes? And when there are things that are valuable and things that are vulnerable, you need walls to protect and to bring boundaries to protect those that are vulnerable from those that would try and steal or destroy them. Walls are not all bad. Walls are good. Some of you will be known as those that will rebuild walls. In other words, bring new boundaries. Restore what's been taken away. Where, where innocence is being robbed in this crazy, digital, crazy online world. Those that, are, that will rebuild walls, bring boundaries, bring principles, bring protection. It is our job as adults to protect the next generation. Can I, can I hear any response? It's our job to protect the next generation. They don't always know. A child doesn't always know what they need. They never have. Oh, we want to build this and center this around the child. Listen, the five-year-old does not know wisdom until you show it to them. I could go off on the whole thing there. Listen, some people will need to build some walls to protect the vulnerable. He says some of you will be known as those who restore homes or streets to dwell in, as it says in the Hebrew. Streets to dwell in, communities. To place where there's disparate, fragmented people who don't get on to rebuild community. Literally, they were going to rebuild homes and rebuild communities. And it was better after they restored it than it was before. Hello? The glory of the latter house would be greater than what it was before. In the same way, I bet they built better homes when they restored them. So our vision of the church is to see Jesus' love transform communities. And I believe God's recommissioning us at this time to refocus, to kind of to gather around a fresh mission. It's the same vision, but a fresh mission. And let me just say a couple of words before we pray. And just so you know, we're building up to two things. Firstly, we're building up to sing a song that we can sing so easily and not mean. It's called Build My Life. And in the chorus of that song, get the opportunity, just in a while, to pledge, I will build my life on your love. And when we sing that a bit later, we're going to mean it. Is that right? Can I hear anyone? And listen, if you can't sing it and mean it, just hum the tune or check your phone or something. It's a genuine invitation to say, God, in this place, here is a people who say, I'm going to build my life on the foundation of your love, Lord. But we're also going to be building up to next week, our Rebuilder Sunday, where we're going to have a conversation about some of these things. And I've got a couple of questions for you to consider. But before that, let me deal with the obvious kind of elephant in the room. The elephant in the room that is the grace of God. Oh, Tim, it sounds like you're, this is a gospel of works, isn't it? Doesn't Jesus just kind of love us anyway? 
Does it really matter? And you might even say, but the way I understand it, we just want to be with Jesus. You know, we're human beings, Tim. We're not human doings. I'm not suggesting that we're either. I'm suggesting that we're Christians. Little Christs. That's where it comes from in Antioch. They were called little Christ. Was it just because they were just being with Jesus? No, it's because they were being with Jesus and then they were doing the things that Jesus did. Healing the sick, helping the poor, putting clothes on the naked, restoring what was broken, building community, including the widows and the orphans in the community, including Gentiles and Jews together in the local church. And people looked at that and said, whoa, those guys don't just know how to be with Jesus. They're doing the things that Jesus did. The grace of God is not cheap. In fact, it's costly. If you want an easy life, forget following Jesus. If you want to get every promotion in your job and climb to the very top of your career without any challenge whatsoever and just have an easy life, listen, forget following Jesus. If you want your home to be a castle that you can protect, a palace of comfort, if you want to never have the discomfort of having someone else there, if you want to never have to share your food, listen, forget the idea of following Jesus. Because Jesus lays it out really thick, and as he comes to the end of uh, the um, section we call the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 7, I'll read you a couple of things to show that Jesus, yes, he's the king of grace. I'm not talking about earning salvation. Hello? I'm not talking about earning salvation. I'm talking about living it out. And he says this in Matthew chapter 7, these powerful words. Because God is the God who restores, but he calls us to action to rebuild. And chapter 7, verse 21, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name, and we cast out demons in your name and performed many miracles in your name. This is the words of Jesus. He says, but I'll reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. And remember, he said the greatest commandment was actually to love the Lord your God, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second, he said, is like it. Love your neighbor. In chapter 9, another context where there's healing of demons, or casting out of demons, and all sorts of stuff going on. And in verse 35 of Matthew chapter 9, says this, Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom, and he healed every kind of disease and illness. Wow, there's loads of miracles around, right? Verse 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who's in charge of the harvest, Ask him to send angels to do some mighty wonders. Is that, is that what it says? Okay, let's try again. So pray to the Lord who's in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send a lightning bolt from heaven to change the world and make it a better place. 
Let's try one more time. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more, let's read it together, workers into his fields. Workers into his fields. He doesn't say pray for wonders. He says pray for workers. If you read a little bit down in your Bible, the next verse, Jesus called his 12 disciples together and gave them authority to cast out evil spirits. And here are their names. <laughs> then he goes through the list of the names. Jesus says, I want you to ask, not just for wonders, but ask for workers. And then he lists our names. He wants to commission each and every one of us to be rebuilders. Everyone. You don't need to be on a staff team of a church. You don't even need to work for a charity. You just need to love Jesus. You can be, and I believe God wants to commission you to clothe the naked, to care for the poor, to spend yourself, to pour yourself out for the things that are on God's heart. I've had the privilege of seeing wellspringers. I've seen signs of the rebuilders all over the place. I heard recently of, of a new wellspring on the canals, sharing the love of Jesus on the canals amongst the, the boating community. Seeing a wellspring on the streets of what were part of the town centre chaplaincy, just offering compassion to someone in one of the shops and offering to pray. They didn't know I was watching them and I felt, I felt like, that's great, God. God bless them as they give their time to offer chaplaincy support to complete strangers. Yeah. I've seen this in the city of London as I met one of our wellspringers who, who works in a place, the most incredible office I've ever been to in my life. And you look around and it's like a temple to the God of Mammon. It really is. Right there, just next to St. Paul's, this huge office. And I see a wellspringer loving Jesus not giving in to the temptation to compete with everyone, to develop their career, but instead to love people, to pray for their colleagues, to pray with their colleagues, to be salt and light in that bank. And I'm like, yeah, God, there's a rebuilder. You don't have to work for charity. You can work for a bank and you can be a rebuilder. Can I hear an amen? Think of those that do work. In so many areas, I, I feel for teachers. I see teachers. I, I was in Watford General and, and I saw the back of one of the wellspringers who was all covered in like the gowns and the mask and everything and just wonder how many hours they'd worked that day. 12 hours of changing adult nappies is a long shift. Rebuilders. So I'm praying, and I, please understand, I'm praying for signs and wonders. Every day I pray for miracles of healing and breakthrough. And it's on my bucket list to pray for at least one person that is dead, that gets risen from the dead. I pray that every day. God, I want to raise someone from the dead. Why not? I want to. You did, Jesus. And you said we'd do greater things than you did. So where's a dead person? <laughs> I don't go looking for dead people. And I prayed for a few people in that state and yet to see that, but I do long for miracles. But the Lord is saying today to us, Wellspring, don't pray for wonders until you pray for workers to do the wonders. 
And then when we do that, we look in the mirror and we realise that the answer to our prayer is staring right back at us. Lord, would you help us? Three questions and then we're going to sing together. Question number one, to ask ourselves, am I spending, and that could mean a lot, but am I spending my life for the needs of others? Second question, what burdens do I feel for our broken community? What burdens do I feel? A burden is not something you just think about, it's something you feel. You personally, what burden do you carry? The Lord may have given that to you because you might be part of the solution, not just an observer of the problem. The third thing, what do I dream that we could fix together? We'll be known as rebuilders, as those who can fix almost anything. Why? Because God dwells in us. And because we're committed in his power to do the things of the kingdom. And when we do that, listen, our light will shine in the darkness. We will be guided always. We will be satisfied. We will have our strength restored. Hallelujah. We will flourish and be a wellspring when we do these things. And just before we sing, you may have heard of a band from the last millennium called Delirious. And they wrote this song called Kingdom of Comfort. These are the lyrics. Save me. Save me from the kingdom of comfort where I am king, from my unhealthy lust of material things. I built myself a happy home in my palace on my own. My castle falling in the sand pulled me out, grabbed my hand. I just forgot where I came from. Save me, save me from the kingdom of comfort where I am king, from my unhealthy lust of material things. I rob myself of innocence with the poison of indifference. I buy my stuff at any cost, a couple of clicks and I pay the price because what I gain is someone else's loss. Save me, save me from the kingdom of comfort where I am king, from my unhealthy lust of material things. Save me, save me from the kingdom of comfort where I am king to this kingdom of heaven where you are king. Let's pray. You might want to offer your hands up to the Lord, just uh, free your hands and could do this at home as well, just on your lap, just invite you to do this. Listen, if you're here today and you've not given your life to Christ even once, you've not surrendered to him, if you're at home and you've not prayed a prayer of confession, I encourage you in this moment now, give all your rubbish and everything, give it all to him. And for all of us, I encourage you to surrender your time and your talents and your treasure to him in this moment. Oh God, we pray that you would make us rebuilders. Pray God that you would take what we have. It doesn't seem like much, but you take what we have, Lord, and you put it to your work. 
take these hands, Lord, and put, it, put them to work. Take these tired hands and strengthen them as we do your work. So come, Holy Spirit, hear the prayers of our hearts now. <coughs> hear the prayers of our hearts now. We give it all to you. We give you our homes. Give you our wealth, all the money in our bank accounts, Lord. It's a dangerous prayer, but Lord, we give it to you. Trust it to you. And God, as we do so, we pray that you'd show us how we can be your rebuilders in this place. And Lord, I do want to pray. Would you forgive us for times our, our, our fists have been clenched and we've held on to things that you want to share with others, Lord. And I pray, God, give out loads more spoons so others can enjoy the delight we enjoy. Thank you for listening. We hope you've been blessed and encouraged by what you've heard. If you'd like to know more about Jesus, Wellspring Church, or how you can grow with others in faith, connect with us by clicking the link in the episode description or joining us on Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. in person and online.